Hey friends, welcome to the Revival Fires podcast. This week's message, we're continuing in our theme of when God speaks. And Trevor Baker is sharing on what does God desire of me? We want to invite you to our Prophetic Seers Conference from the 28th to the 30th of November. Visit our website to register your place. There's no charge. Last week I was talking about, you know, the whole thing with um, Samuel and how, you know, first of all, he knew how to position himself. Do you remember that? Um, He lay in the temple near the ark where the ark was kept. And then also we looked at how he was developing and learning how to discern the voice of God, how God was allowing him to grow and to develop in hearing him ready for when he would become a prophetic voice and then I finished up with looking at how we learn how to once we've developed that way of hearing God's voice we then become an influencer we begin to have an influencing in other people's lives because his voice has influenced us and so it was that that last verse in um 1 Samuel 3 and um, the first verse of 1 Samuel 4 it says that and Samuel's voice came to all Israel hallelujah and so we were just looking at how God speaks and how we can become a voice remember that you know becoming the voice that God has given you and uh, and so you know, we were looking at and we were praying through this week with regard to a new um, series and we um, just together with Ryan and Anna and Sharon, we were just looking at just where we go from here. And I, I got a sense that there's something about spiritual authority and how we grow in that spiritual authority and how we minister out of a place of spiritual authority. Um, but, I, but I feel that there's still something more that God wants to speak. And so what is it this morning when God speaks? How do we respond to that? You see, all the time, all the series that we've been doing, it's been primarily of how we listen to him and how we then become a voice for him. Well, I, I just felt that this morning God was going to Um, really minister deep into our hearts and how this all came about I um, I hadn't set my clock so um, uh, you know since I've been back I was telling you I'm waking up uh, today was 4.48 and uh, so around five o'clock I am getting up going into my study at home and just spending time in the presence of God just Really allowing God to minister to me, not to you, to minister to me. And, and so um, we'd had a day, praise God. <laughs> okay, thanks, Ryan. Um, we had a great day yesterday, England won New Zealand. Any New Zealand fans here this morning, I'm not sorry for you. <laughs> And don't anybody who says who won the game today, first of all, you're watching or you're going onto your iPads while you should be listening to me. So that's the first strike against you. The second one, if you do say who won, it's purgatory. And I don't know how long you will be there for. Okay? So you keep all that information to yourself. 
I'm going to watch the game later. Um, but as I was preparing for this message, I um, started to um, read where I've usually been reading is in Ephesians. And then I felt my, my Bible sort of flipped over and uh, flipped over into Song of Solomon. And, um, and as I um, looked at the book of Song of Solomon, um, I've got, I had a, a message. Um, here's the message. Um, there's a message here um, that's written down. Now, the person who wrote this message or prepared this message was Richard Maybury. And uh, there was a time, probably 10 years ago, I lent him my Bible because he'd forgot to bring his to the meeting. So I lent him mine. And uh, with that, um, or over a weekend that he hadn't got his Bible, so I gave him my Bible. So in my Bible, there's that one. But then there's um, probably, let me just see, there's probably three other messages. There they are. Um, One, there's another two of his. (laughs) And uh, so even dead, yet he speaks. <laughs> and so um, I looked at um, just his notes and, um, and so I just thought, well, what was it Richard was actually saying back then? And I, I really felt the Lord say to me, but you need to pay attention. You see, sometimes we hear things and it can be stored up for us. And God wants to take us back there again in order to speak to us again. And so I believe that for you, the reason I was not moving on to this new series was I read this, um, I read this statement that he made. And that is when, um, what is God after? And, um, and so for us today, uh, I really felt that God wanted you to know what he desires from you. That's what he spoke to me. When I was reading and I, I read through the things that Richard has said, that's not my message from what I said, but it just stirred me in a particular way. And I think we have to allow God to stir us. And even though we may be prepared to say something and move on, God keeps us Back in the same place because he's not finished with us yet. Anybody else feel like that? That God is not allowing you to move on because he still has something to say to you. And uh, well there's one person at the back who is really with me. So if there's nobody out this is just for me and you. Okay. So there you go. There's a few more now putting their hands up. And so here um, what is God desiring from you? And I'm going to bring out just a few things um, around, probably in three different places from Song of Songs. So it's not a whole um, study of Song of Songs, but just some key things I believe that Song of Solomon speaks to us because it really does focus in on someone's identity and how God speaks to us to affirm us. God wants to affirm you in your identity, knowing who you are. Hallelujah. And I don't think there is a better book in the Bible for somebody to read it and to realize who they are in the eyes of someone else. And, uh, and so here this morning, that's what I want to talk about. But I felt that you needed to know how I came to the message today. 
And don't ever give up on things just because you've heard them in the past, just like you've got a note here by somebody else. I've never taken it out. I've just left it there. Richard uh, Mabry passed away, I think now I'm six years ago. It was a dear friend. And so he still speaks today. You know, and who would have thought that um, here he is today um, stirring up something. And I believe God wants to stir something up in you this morning. Anybody here want to be stirred? Yes. You're in good company. And, uh, and so here, what does God desire from you? Well, he desires to see your face. Did you hear that? See... I think sometimes you're waiting for a great statement coming. I've already given you the great statement on identity. I'm sorry about that. Um, But the word is, what is God desiring? Your face. See, there is so much in that. See, your face is your real you. And um, you see, the one thing the enemy seeks to do. Let me me just read this to you. Um, and it says here, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume or ointment poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry or draw me and we will run after you. Let the king bring me into his chamber. That is into a secret place. Why? As it goes on in the Song of Solomon, it says to us, let me see your face. Let me look upon you behind the veil. You see, so often we veil ourselves and we put things over ourselves that don't allow the real you and the real me to come out. Because we're looking through a veil. Now listen, the reason is why there is a veil or the reason is why we're not comfortable with who we are is it says in Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness covered Did you hear that word covered, veiled the face of the deep? Let me tell you everything in your life, everything in my life that speaks of God's creative order, the enemy wants to darken and he wants to veil. Why? Because if you were to come out into your true self, is that what will happen? You would be, he would be divided from you. That is, you wouldn't have anything to do with his works of darkness. And God would develop all that he wanted to develop in you. And so the enemy covers the face of the deep. How many of you know here that our hearts are deep waters? Uh, how many of you know that? Yeah. And, and it takes a man of wisdom to bring them out. That's right. You see, and even in your heart, in my heart, see, I can look on your face, but does your face reflect the depths of your heart? Or do we put on a front? That's how we say today, don't we? Putting on a front. Really is all a front is, is putting on a veil. To cover our lives. To cover 
the face of the deep. You see, what is your deep face? What is it? See, what is the face that God wants to bring you to a place where you're so comfortable with and affirmed in? And there's only one place that that can happen by going into the king's chamber. Now listen, when you start looking at the Song of Solomon, this is the point when men usually turn off. And they think this is for the women, not for the men. Men, stay with me this morning. This is for you. Okay, this is for you. And I'll put it into language in a moment that you can identify with. You know, sometimes, sometimes when men read um, the Song of Solomon... It can feel like a man being in a beauty parlor or as exciting as a man in a beauty parlor and uh, or waiting outside for your wife to get her hair done. You know, it's not very exciting. You know, there, there is one thing I have promised myself one day that I am going to do and that is I'm going to walk into Debenhams And as they're making, you know, do you know the makeovers? As I walk past the makeover, I'm going to jump into that chair and say, okay, give it your best shot. You know, that is is one of my, that is one of my to-dos. And just to see the expression on their face, you know. I don't know whether I'll let them carry on. I, I just want to do it to see what they say and how they look. And so here, getting back to my point, you see, I want, to, I want to open up this in such a way that we can allow God to unveil our face and to begin to reveal to us first and foremost and then to begin to reveal us to a waiting world. See, God longs to see your face. Listen to what it says in verse 4. How beautiful are you, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil. See, the eye is the window to the soul. If your eye is single, your whole body, Jesus said, is full of light. But if your eye isn't single, then you'll have darkness. How great is the darkness? What Jesus was saying with this is, if you have darkness in you, how great has the darkness covered the face of the deep? Are you with me? And so God wants to unveil, not unmask you, unveil you. How beautiful behind your veil are your eyes. He says, your temple are like pomegranates. I mean, there's one, there's one, guys, for you to try and fathom out this week. What on earth is temples and pomegranates got to do with me? I believe they're a sign of such freshness and fruitfulness. You could a pomegranate in half. See, two, your temples, it needs two. So they're two. And so it talks, it talks about that, that freshness of you know, life and that seed bearing of life. See, that's what it's saying to us. And so here it says that your veil, your eyes behind your veil. And, uh, and so here your face this morning, it speaks of who you are. 
And I want God to begin to reveal to you what he desires of you. We were singing the songs this morning. And I don't know about you, but as you sung those songs, did you pick up certain things, certain key things? You see here, if we read this verse here, we rejoice and delight in you. We praise your love more than with wine. You see, in here, draw me and we will run after you. And when we're running after God, there's a sense of pursuit. What does God desire? God desires you to pursue him. Because he's pursuing you. Hallelujah. And God wants your pursuit of his presence. And so there's a sense, I don't know about you, but there's a sense here that take me away with you, let us hurry, let the king bring me into his chamber. And I feel that when you read that, that the king bringing us in and this whole sense of you, your delight, your praise, we praise your love more than wine. What does that mean? Just like wine gets better with maturity. It's flavor changes. So God is looking for change in our lives. He is looking for our lives to become even more intoxicated. And I look at that, not from a point of a drunk person, but the power, the power that wine has to change a person's behavior. You see, it says, your love is more intoxicating than wine. There is a maturity that God is after and in that maturity it becomes more powerful to change our lives hallelujah anybody want maturity this morning anybody want to change life this morning see we come to drink of the love of his wine what is that Jesus tells us about that when he turned water into wine and it was because he was wanting us to take a glimpse of the abundance of the grace great feast, the great banquet at the end of time. And here it is. This whole psalm is, uh, this whole psalm, this whole book is a song of the king's coronation. This was what is read out when the kings of Israel were being coronated as kings. They would read this out as they were led into that place. And so here, as we come to this place, this, this wedding celebration, but also it was the king's coronation. Did you see the crown that my mother crowned me with? See, that's all about as she was drawn to the king, that she also became one with him on his throne. Hallelujah. And so just as the king had been crowned, so now he was bringing his bride and the bride was coming in so that they could know what it was to be together on the throne, ruling and reigning. Hallelujah. See, that's what God has got for. And so he wants us to come into a new place where we know who we are. We know who he's created us to be. No longer has the enemy defaced us. Listen, whatever you've come through, however you've come to this point, see, you need to realize this morning the enemy cannot remove the image of God from you. Hallelujah. 
and God will remove every veil that the enemy has put on you so that you can come in to being who you truly are. And so be affirmed in who you really are. Any amens here this morning? See, this is what it's about. And so here I want to flip over to this place, to um, chapter 2 and verse 14. And so just let me finish off that thought. See, here it is that the pleasing is the fragrance of your perfume. Your name is like ointment poured out. The maidens love you. We're going to be able to drink that new wine. But that is all Christ is for me. You know, Christ is enough for me. I believe there is a depth that Jesus wants to take us to. And it's not about what he is for me. It's about who I am for Christ. See, there is a whole change of that. Because so often we're wanting Jesus to be the bread of life to us. To be the waters of life to us. To be the wine to us. We're wanting him to be the lover of our soul. We're wanting him to be the oil of anointing over our life. So it's all what we want Christ to do for. And listen, there is nothing wrong with that at all. But I believe there is a place that we can get to when it's no longer what Christ is for me, but it's what I am for him. For him. Do you understand? It's what you and me are for him this morning. See, what does he desire from me and from you? See, because so often we come to take. You know, we come. And this, again, hear me right. There is nothing. If you're in need, he will be Christ for you. But I believe there's a place that we can get to when we realize who we are in Christ, that we become who we are for him. Hallelujah. And that's a whole change. And that's where I really want to get to this morning. And it says here in verse 14, chapter 2, verse 14, My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places of the mountainside, show me your face. Oh, see, it's not, it's not in the public place. He doesn't say in the great congregation, hey, show me your face. But it says in the cleft of the rock, on the mounting place, in the hiding place, there let me see your face. Now, why does he say that? I believe because there's a journey that every one of us is on, and that is to allow the true self to come out. See, if we were to look today, and I don't think there would be many people here this morning. There may be an exception to the rule. But I I feel that if we were to have a video recording of our last week, things that we've done, things that we've said, and the things that we have thought, gulp. Huh? I wonder how many of us would allow our true self to be seen. Or would there be elements of us wanting to protect the unseemly parts of our lives? 
And so what God does, he wants to take us to the hiding place. He wants to take us into his chamber, the secret place. He wants to hide us in the cleft of the rock. Why? Because there are things that we see in us that was never meant for the public place, but he wants to deal with them so that the defacement that causes us to do the things that we do and the thoughts that we have, he wants to remove all of those from us so that we with open face, with unveiled face, beholding in a glass darkly, are transformed from one degree of glory to another. Hallelujah. See, that's what God is after. He's after you being transformed. He's after your words being transformed, your looks being transformed, your motives being transformed. And it comes as He takes us and hides us in those places. Aren't you glad that God is a God who hides you in order to deal with you? Uh, He never exposes us. Any of you ever been strapped publicly or had a beating publicly? It's not nice, let me tell you. We, I went to a school and um, I was a daydreamer in school. I'm still a daydreamer now, but sometimes my daydreamers turn to night dreaming too, thank goodness. Um, and so we would read the book. I've got to like the uh, Mark Twain's books now. I didn't used to because Mark Twain's book always meant pain for me. And uh, we were in one of those schools. It was a boys' school. And, um, and so you would have public reading. Now, to do the public reading, you had to follow the chapters or the pages. And so if you were asked, so they would say, you would say Baker. And so with that, you would know that you had to pick up right um, reading where the person had just finished. And so then um, after that, he would then say Barnes. Um, after I'd been reading it, and Ryan would have to go. Now, if he said Baker and I couldn't read from that line, the next line, you had to stand at the back of the room. Now, the thing was this. The first time, you didn't know anything about it. But after that, you realized what was going on. See, that was punishment. Public exposure. And, um, and so somebody else would be, they would carry on reading, and then they would say somebody else, um, somebody else's name. And so they would then pick up to read. But if they couldn't follow, that you get to sit down, and that person stood up. So, so it was like a, it was like a, a class um, shaming, you know, and um, and so then at the end of the lesson, the person who was stood at the back got the slipper. I mean, brutal, huh? And uh, and so they got the slipper. For not paying attention. So all the others, they took the punishment from everybody else. Now, the thing is this. Then you started to play games. Because then you thought you used to try and see how close you could get to the wire. How close you could get daydreaming and still get to sit back in your chair. And, um, but it was all to do with public shaming. See... God never does that. 
He always takes us to the secret place so that no one else can understand, first of all, the depth of your heart and the depth to which and the reasons why there have become that covering over of the face of the deep in you. But you see, a wise man brings deep things out of a person's heart. And so Jesus is the wisest person. Do you know what? Even in that quiet place, you know he says to one woman, go and call your husband. He didn't say to her, listen, you live in a, you're living a sinful life. You've had three husbands. The one you live is not. You're living in immorality. Now go and sort that out and then come back and then we can talk about living water. Can you see? But what does he do? He says, go and call your husband. She says, I haven't got it. He says, yes, I know that. But he never stops her drinking. Hallelujah. Why? Because he's uncovering what the enemy has covered, the depth of her heart. He's uncovering that. And so there is this secret place. What does the Bible talk about the secret place? Exodus 33, 22. Easy to remember. Three threes, two twos. And uh, if you need some help, um, because I'll give you all the help that you need, because I need all the help. And so Exodus 33, um, 22 says this. That there he opened up the cleft of the rock. And it was there that he enabled Moses to step in to that cleft. That place that he'd made an opening in the rock for Moses to step in for what purpose? So his glory could pass by. We are changed from one degree of glory to another. So in that cleft there was an unveiling in Moses' heart that he could observe and see the glory as God passed by. Hallelujah. Paul is writing about this. We who with unveiled faces beholding in a glass darkly are changed from one degree of glory to another. Hallelujah. With ever increasing Don't you like that? Ever increasing. And so here for us, he says, come into this secret place. Let's just bring one or two more things out of that. You see, here it is in uninterrupted communion or uninterrupted togetherness. There is a place that God wants you to have uninterrupted communication with him while he allows the depths of your heart to come out. And so he says, my dove in the cleft of the rocks, in the hiding place of the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice. Oh, see, it's one thing when God speaks and for us to hear the voice of God, what you need to understand is this, is when you are for Christ, not when Christ is for you, 
When you are for Christ, he wants to see your face. The real you. Unveiled before him. And he wants to hear your voice. I will extol your voice more than wine. See, we have found something in him that is far more pleasurable than wine. We have found in him this flavor, this sweetness of his presence. And he said, when that is working in you, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear the voice of the unveiled lover of Jesus. I want to hear the voice of one who knows themselves like I know them. And where there is no longer any fear or any shame for you to come into who you really are so that you You can be yourself in my presence. Listen, he knows everything about you anyway. He knew everything about you before you got born again. He really did everything. Everything. His eyes saw your unformed substance. And from that day to this, he knows everything about you. So why? And he still accepts you in the one who he loves. That's the Lord Jesus. That is your hiding place. So that when he looks at you, he doesn't see who you used to be. He sees the Jesus in you and in me. Hallelujah. Give him praise this morning. So there is this uninterrupted communion, uninterrupted togetherness. See, that's what the the power of pursuit is all about. And it is the Holy Spirit that allows us to pursue him. He is the new wine. He is the one that draws us into his presence. He is and wants to bring a revelation of the Lord Jesus. He is the one that allows you to see him. And as you see him, you become more like him. But he says, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Uninterrupted communion. Let me hear the very depths of your heart. Out of your mouth, your heart speaks. Have you allowed your heart to speak to him this week? Really speak to him. Have you allowed your heart to speak in such a way that no one else would ever know the depths to which he has sought you out and he's pursued you? Can you see, in that place, you become more who he created you to be. He starts to remove. He allows light to come into your life. He allows. See, the anointing, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, when it talks there, your name is like ointment. Your name is like an anointing poured forth. It says in Isaiah 10, 28, it says there these words. Or 29. It says there that the anointing breaks the yoke. Let me tell you, there is an anointing for every yoke that needs to be broken. It isn't a blanket anointing. But it is a specific anointing for every yoke that has been attached to your life. But there is an anointing that can break it so that you can step into that place of being who you really are. 
And so for us this morning, see, draw. So it's in that place where we're waiting upon him. Let us run. That's our walk with him. So learn to wait and learn to walk with his presence. It's so simple and yet, you know, we, we're wanting some great truth or whatever and, and we're looking at all the different books but here it says, draw me and we'll run. Draw me and we will run. See what God does with you personally, it will have a corporate effect. Did you know that? Allow God to do something in you and draw you so that others are drawn to his presence by your pursuit. See, that is a corporate body of believers. So we're not on our own. You know, God wants you to know that you're not this little island. So as we wait and as we walk with him and you see here the hiding place of the mountain Psalm 91 says in the um, secret place there is a secret place of the most high and so there's this secret place he wants to take you to so what is that secret place? What is it? You see, so often we're, we're hearing messages and inspirational messages, a message on how to deal with difficulties, all of those things. But you see, we come back to the place of this secret place because there's no more secret place than the cross of the Lord Jesus. Did you hear that? The cross of Jesus. See, that is the cleft. That is the body that was opened up so that we could be included. See, that is the place. And so the mountain here is the mountain of the Lord. In this Old Testament, it's speaking of Mount Moriah. In the New Testament, it's speaking of the Holy Mount. That is the place where Jesus was crucified. But it speaks there of the place of sacrifice, where he died in your place. So that all of the defacing of the enemy could be removed from you. And that you could stand in his presence. Like what he created you to be, no, even better. Because God's second best is always greater than his first best. Did you know that? You read through Hebrews again. He takes away the first because he wants to establish a second. See, he removes all those marks of the old life because he wants to establish a new life that is created in Christ Jesus. Paul puts it like this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified together with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who now lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. Hallelujah. 
And so he is the one that through the work of the cross, a way was opened up so that we could enter in. And here, as we enter into that new place, we can see it as death. But you know what Paul says in Philippians 3 and verse 8 to 10? He says that I might know him and the power of his being made conformable or through his sufferings through death. But let me tell you this. It is resurrection that we come to live. Oh, that I might know his resurrection and that I may experience. Let me get those words for you. That I may experience. I wrote them down here. And that I might know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. You don't know the fellowship of suffering until you know the power of resurrection. Because it isn't some morbid looking back, but it is a glorious, a glorious view of what Christ has done for you. That you are a new creation and you look back in glory and honour and praise of all that he did for you. So that you have fellowship with his suffering, but it isn't like your suffering that you're going through. Because you see the glory of resurrection power working in you. Hallelujah. Give him praise this morning and so this wasn't some morbid looking back or wanting to flay his flesh it says becoming like him in his death but he's already talked about resurrection power that I might the res the power of his resurrection when you know the power of his resurrection the wounds that he has are only glorified to you because it is no longer trying to crucify yourself it's no longer trying to flay or whip your body into submission but it's seeing how that that life ended and you're living in resurrection power hallelujah so that colossians 3 verse 5 says this for me to live is christ to die is gain and it says so that again here it's not talking about going and dying it's talking here to die is gain. for i am crucified with christ hallelujah see and so here once i recognize see so many people are trying to cast demons out of their lives because they're in a little bit of difficulty in this area and that and it's not about demons coming out it's about discipling your life through the power of the cross it's about you living your life in the light of what jesus did on the cross you know, as I say to people, listen, if it is the flesh, we crucify the flesh. You can, you can have as much deliverance as you can. But if it is an area in your life which is just fleshly, that is, it's carnal. You're just living a way that you're no longer in obedience to what God's got for you. Let me tell you, that's just fleshly. And you just need to bring that to the cross. And as you bring it to the cross... You're living in resurrection power. Come on. And he takes you to the secret place in order to deal with those things. And so for us, what does God want? He wants your pursuit of him. He desires 
you. And so as we look at that, there is then a righteousness that he gives to us. You don't have to try and make yourself better. And so we come to that place of unveiled face. When you realize that, it takes all the stress off your life. When you realize that, show me your face. Not all of the things that you try and do to embellish who you are and things that you say. But let me see your real face. And let us have that intimacy in that secret place. Men as well as women. Where we get to know who we really are. So that we're no longer being pushed and shoved around trying to be something that we're not or something that is never affirmed in our life. God wants to affirm you this morning. That is reveal to me who you are. Let me hear your voice. You know and so often as we come into that place I believe that God just wants us to be real with him. When God speaks are you real? When God speaks, do you say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Speak, Lord, because I'm listening. I have been asleep, but I'm awake. I hear the sound of my lover. The sound of the one who loves me, even with all of those areas where I availed myself. He still loves me. Listen, this is such a liberating thing for us this morning. For us to come into a new place with him. So that when God speaks, we can say, yes, it's because he desires me. Sometimes we hear God speak and we think he's after us. To make sure that we're doing okay. No, he's after you because he wants to see you. He's after you because he wants to hear you. He wants you to be in that place, that place of hiddenness. Show me your your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Hear unrivaled love. Unrivaled love. When we're in that place, there is nothing that can rival our love and acceptance by him. See, flip it over. This is Jesus talking. It is his unrivaled love as well as your unrivaled love. He doesn't want anything between you and him. He doesn't want you to have anything else. We move from Christ for me and to the place where I am for Christ. For me to live is Christ. That he has ministered to me. But it's not out of ministry now that I come. It's out of intimacy that I come. I long for those times of meeting with him where I can be my true self and where he can affirm who I am in that secret place. Hallelujah. And so hear that unrivaled love. And it's no more a place of super introspection. I don't know about you, but there are some people that spend their lives just being introspective, looking at all the things that they need to get right in their life. When you know this, and when you know what Christ has done, 
at that place where he opened up a cleft, where he opened up a secret place for you to enter into the very heart of God, let me tell you, there is no more super introspection. You're not looking at, you're not looking at all of those flaws in your life. You begin to allow him to show you what he sees and to show you that your eyes behind the veil. As I say, if someone said, I think it was Jack Frost that said, you know, when you um, looking at somebody and you see yourself reflected back through their eyes. And I think he used this play on words, into me see into me see or intimacy see when you see yourself reflected back that is a close encounter and there's no room for introspection because you only see yourself reflected back through the eyes of the person who is gazing at you See, I don't feel that we need to ever lose those elements, even as we look to the prophetic, as we look for God to give us our voice back. We still come back to these truths because they're glorious truths where we step into a place where we are known by him as he knows us. Or we are known to ourselves in the same way as he knows us. And we found that this love that he has is far more life-changing than wine. Far more life-changing. And so the last thing I want to say is this. There is an undivided attention. And it says that when you're in that place, listen to the next verse. And it says these words. Catch for us the foxes. The little foxes that's, um, that ruin the vineyards. Our vineyards that are in bloom. See, vineyards are in bloom have the promise of fruitfulness. And it's not the large foxes, it's the little foxes. It's the same as what's said in Ecclesiastes 10 verse 1, where it talks there, it's the, the flies that spoil the ointment. And it's just a little thing, but in a whole um, vial of perfume, it's the fly that spoils the perfume. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. See, what do they do? Is All they do is this. They contaminate the ground. And that is one, what it talks about is this. It's the foxes that they would basically pee around the, the vines. And so the, what would happen is the ground becomes saturated with ammonia and the ammonia kills the rootstock. And so then, even though it's in bloom, is that what happens, it contaminates the ground around it, so producing fruitfulness in the vine. See, God says, kill those little critters. Start to deal with those things that come in. Listen, it's not inside you. It's the enemy coming from the outside in order to try and destroy what God is producing in you. God is producing fruit in you. But we have to catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vine, the vines that are in blossom.
See, I believe that God wants you all to blossom. He really does. I believe that this is a season we are coming into that God says it's time to be fruitful. I believe this season that we're coming into this month of um, Shivan says this. God has caused me to forget the pain of the last season. And he has given me fruitfulness in this present season. Even in a season which doesn't speak of fruitfulness. Because this is the second month of the winter season even for Israel. This is the season of the hard rains, the hard winds. This is the season when nothing should be growing. This is the season where the ground and the Trees are being hit by the wind and the the winter rains. And he says, God has made me to forget the pain of my pilgrimage of my last season. And it comes as we allow God to take us to that secret place. We still value the work of the cross. And listen, it's not about us sticking a cross on our backs and flaying us. It's about looking to the cross and seeing all that he did for us. So that me and you do not have to do it again. Because if we put anything before the cross, we actually rob that cross. That is the cross of Jesus of its power. What is the power of the cross? Resurrection life. That's the power of the cross. What's the power of the cross? It is new creation. What's the power of the cross? It's you being who he created you to be. With all the embellishments or all of the veils removed removed from you. Let me see your face. Do you want God to see you this morning? Why don't you stand? Thank you, Lord. And here. His undivided attention of you. Come into the place of the completeness of your identity we all not some we all with unveiled faces beholding through a glass through a veil are being transformed from one degree of glory to another